Today we continue our series on the eight Beatitudes that Christ has given us. I have a friend, Dr. Kent Hughes, who I worked with for several years, used to call these the ten or the eight beautiful attitudes. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter, as we look at these attitudes. Pastor Steve started this series four weeks ago as he spoke on, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the word we used to summarize this was the word humility. The second week, we looked at those who mourn shall be comforted, and the key word was compassion. The third week, we looked at the meek shall inherit the earth, and the key word was gentleness. And finally, last week, Pastor Steve looked at those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, and the key word was conviction, and then he left town. <laughs> Why? I think that it's simply that this is the hardest one in, to preach on, and so he gave me the hardest one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's difficult because it challenges only our thinking, but also our attitude. The basic definition of merciful is to have mercy on or give help to the wretched, to relieve the miserable. So the essential thought here is that mercy is that which we give to a person who's going through a miserable time. Now this mercy is distinct from grace in that grace is God's unmerited favor that he gives us. And because of God's grace in our lives, our reaction to that is that we are to be merciful. Maybe the synonym for Mercy, in our context, might be the word compassion. But it's more than just a feeling. Jesus, as he told, tells that parable that we call the Good Samaritan, tells the story of three people in Luke, the 10th chapter. And he ends with these words, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And the questioner said, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And this is the first reason why mercy is so difficult for us. For it cannot be simply a feeling, a feeling of compassion. Mercy always involves us involved in active action. In my previous church in Wheaton, Illinois, I was a brand new missions pastor. I was leading my first short-term trip overseas. We call them stamp trips here at, we at uh, College Church. No, not College Church. That's where I was, at Black Rock Church. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'd rather be here than there anyways. But we were in Cochabamba, Bolivia, and I had with me... Uh, about 22 people who had never been overseas before, at least not to a third world country. And so just as we were going into one of the slum areas in Coach, I got, gathered them all together and I gave them a strict command. I said, look, we're going to be going into this area where there's going to be a lot of beggars, some of which are professional beggars. They make a living doing this. And so you are not to give anything to anyone. We are working through a local church, we're going to give our money to that local church, and that local church will distribute it to the people who are really in need, and they know who are the professionals and who are the people in need. 
So as we walked into the particular bazaar, I positioned myself in the back of the team. I was acting as the policeman to ensure that no one broke the commandment, thou shalt not help these people. <laughs> as we were walking along, there was a woman sitting on a blanket, filthy. She held her hand up towards me. As I looked at her face, there was what appeared to be pus coming from her eyes. She appeared to be blind. In her other hand, in her other arm, she held a baby, an infant. My heart was strangely moved, but I had told the group, no giving to beggars. And so I passed by her. And then a conversation started in my soul between my soul and the Holy Spirit. And as I look back upon that 30 years ago, there's probably only a few other times when I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me in such a direct way. And the Spirit said to me, go back. Go back to that woman. And so I started a dialogue with myself. I found myself saying, look at, I, I can't go back there. I, I just told the group they can't do that. And, and she probably put Vaseline on her eyes. She's probably not really blind. And the fact that she could reach out towards me indicated that she could see me, Lord. And that baby's probably not hers. So I walked on. I, I guess it was almost a half a mile. Having this dialogue between me, my spirit, and the Holy Spirit. And finally, I, I realized I had to go back. And so without saying anything to the team, I turned around and went back and knelt down by that woman and gave her some money. Instead of my faltering Spanish, God loves you and your child. And as I've reflected back upon that, what I did there was important for that woman, hopefully important for that baby, but it was of infinite importance to my soul. For I had to act. Mercy is difficult because it demands our involvement. We cannot simply feel compassion, feel mercy. You and I have to be involved. The second reason that mercy is difficult for us in this particular beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, is difficult because it demands forgiveness. Our word for this beatitude. The eminent scholar Robert Gulick in his 364-page corpus on the Sermon on the Mount demonstrates this beautifully with these words. Merciful describes one who forgives and pardons another who is wrong. True forgiveness means giving up my right to hurt another. The Old Testament supreme example of this, of course, is in the life of Joseph. You remember the story, Joseph is taken by his brothers and his brothers are going to kill him. He's only saved because of the interaction or intercession of Reuben, his oldest brother in the Midianite caravan that comes by. And so the brothers, instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery, thinking they'll never see him again. And then as we get to the 50th chapter of Genesis, all of a sudden his brothers come before Joseph and now the tables are completely turned Joseph is the person with power. And Joseph looks upon his brothers, the brothers that sold him into slavery, 
And the book of Genesis ends with those words. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for the good. Mercy is difficult because it involves our action and it demands our forgiveness. And the third reason this beatitude is so difficult is that it's so emphatic. The fifth beatitude could well be rendered this way. Blessed are the merciful, for they, and only they, will receive mercy. Other scriptures teach that same idea. James 2.13, James writes these words, Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Listen to that. Judgment will be merciless to those who have shown no mercy. Again, we miss the point here if we think that our acts of mercy will result in us being eternally forgiven, that we can earn our way to God. No, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. None of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. God's mercy is given to us freely. But the fact that he has given us his mercy, his grace, results in us being people that are merciful. This passage is emphatic. It's difficult. And suggests two very penetrating questions that we all need to ask ourselves. And the first one is this. If we show no mercy to those physically and financially in need, then we may not be a Christ follower. If we have no compassion, if we have no mercy, we may not be, no matter what we say, no matter how often we go to church, we may not be a person with the Holy Spirit residing within us. We may not be a Christian. 1 John 3.17 says it very starkly. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Now that passage makes me uncomfortable because I am, and most of us are here this morning, people of means. And so what James is saying here and what this beatitude is saying to us is that if you are a Christ follower, you need to be a person who is concerned about the needs of others. As a church, that is why a ministry that we just initiated on our Thursday night living free recovery program is so important to us. As we seek to reach out to people who are going through recovery from alcoholism, substance abuse, Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've been through a divorce. It's important that we have ministries like this because it illustrates what's in the very fiber of our hearts. And our involvement in our missions program actively demonstrates again where our priorities are. Feeding the poor through the Bridgeport Rescue Mission, 
is a significant example of our care for people who are going through times of misery. Pivot Ministries, our involvement with Royal Family Kids Camp, Intercity Impact, Operation Hope, all those 11 local ministries illustrate that we are a people who are consumed by giving mercy to people who are going through difficult times. And our prayer support for our international ministry illustrates throughout the world our concern for the needs of others. MedSend, World Relief, International Justice Ministry, where we are making a commitment as a church, and we hope you'll support us financially. We're going to contribute $125,000 over the next five years to seek to eradicate child slavery, economic slavery, for kids below the age of 13 in Ghana. Why? Because we are people who have been blessed with God's grace and God's mercy. Just this past week, your Board of Missions voted to, in conjunction with the church in Nepal, start a tailoring ministry that will reach and equip women who are powerless in that society to have economic means whereby they can survive, and thereby we will present the gospel to them. There's no return on dollar on that. We're not going to make a penny off any of our missions program. It's simply our illustration to the world and to God that we are the, the people who have been granted forgiveness and mercy. And therefore, we want to react to that. And the second test for our souls is this one. The corresponding aspect of mercy, and that's forgiveness. And in some ways, this is a much harder test. But this is much more personal. Mercy is something that we do to others, but forgiveness is something that needs to happen internally to us. And so again, I want to say something very jarring to my soul and probably to yours too. And that is simply this. If you do not exercise mercy through forgiveness, you may not be a Christ follower. I realize that's a frightening thing to say. For I know that some of you have been through difficulties in regards to forgiveness. That you've forgiven someone once and twice and maybe a third time and still they've turned that around and they've hurt you. But I want to say to you, dear friend, that if you are not a forgiving person, if you say to someone, I can never, never, never forgive you, you need to be careful about scarring your soul. Jesus taught a parable in Matthew, the 18th chapter. We call it the unmerciful slave or the unmerciful servant. You know the story. A servant comes to his master and he owes the equivalent in today's dollar of $200 million. He comes to his master and asks for his forgiveness and the master graciously forgives him of his entire debt. And then this unmerciful servant, this unmerciful slave goes to another person who owes him the equivalent of $2,000. And he says, I will not forgive you. And he has him cast into prison. 
And Jesus ends with these words, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And listen to this. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Those are hard words. Those are surgical words. For Jesus is here speaking to people who are religious. People that go to the synagogue, to the church. People who possibly give alms. But he says to them, that unless you forgive your brother or your sister, you may not be forgiven. And again, there are people that hurt us, that will take our act of forgiveness and turn it to their advantage. But be careful. If you say, I will not forgive them, but there is also great power in forgiveness and reconciliation. And let's watch a story of Eric and Matthew in this regard. amazing. Uh, we usually get together every once in a while to see what's going on in each other's lives. Just recently, a couple months ago, I just got married, and uh, Eric's been just full of advice uh, to really help my marriage out um, and really keep God the center. Matthew and I have a great friendship. Uh, he's just he's a great guy. Uh, we get together and, and get to talk about what God's doing in our lives, uh, what's going on at work, what's going on at home, just just everything about life we share together. There's a, there's a bond, there's a there's a camaraderie um, that's there that's, I think, just unique. Uh, the, the, the memories that we have, the things that we've shared have just been um, amazing. Um, to be honest, I wish that our friendship would have started under different circumstances. I work as a firefighter EMT. Um, I was just finished uh, getting off a 24-hour shift. Uh, we had an extremely busy shift. Um, I really only got about 30 minutes of sleep. I drove home and uh, I didn't really feel the need that I, I needed to pull over. So about two miles from my house, um, I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and crossing the center line and uh, hitting an oncoming car head on. I had just woken up uh, that morning and, and I heard a, a pounding on the front door. And so I went to see what was going on and uh, the senior pastor from my church where I serve, Jeff, was there. He had told me that my wife and my daughter had been in a car accident. I need to get my keys, get my cell phone, get my wallet, and let's go. So I grabbed my stuff, we jumped in the truck, we went to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, uh, the chaplain met us uh, at 
the emergency room and kind of walked us to the counseling room. The doctor began to share kind of what had happened, that June had sustained um, severe head trauma um, and, and some broken bones and, and the steering column had actually been uh, crushed in towards her abdominal area. And due to the injuries that she sustained, um, that she had gone into cardiac arrest almost immediately, uh, the EMTs um, did everything that they could uh, on the way to the hospital to try to do aggressive CPR and, and keep her going. But when they got to the hospital, um, they, they pronounced her dead. Um, my wife was also pregnant, uh, almost seven months pregnant uh, with our son, and, um, and we lost him as well. Faith, uh, who was 19 months old at the time, was also in the car, but amazingly, uh, she came out of it with, uh, with no injuries, just some mild abrasions and some bruises. Um, hearing, hearing the news, uh, just trying to process it, not only did I lose uh, my wife and my best friend, but I also lost a son. <clears throat> and I went outside uh, to call my mom and tell her what had happened, and it's <clears throat> the most difficult phone call I've ever had to make. So here I was, I just had the worst day of my life. I opened my Bible and I was just like, okay, God, you know, what do you have? I just lost my wife. I lost my son. And I remember uh, a sermon that I'd heard oh, years ago just came back to my mind. And it was talking about how that, that there's, there's a bigger picture uh, going on and that we have a tendency to, to look at our lives as little three by five snapshots. And we tend to get focused on, you know, whether our three by five is okay or not. And, and, and we lose sight of the fact that God is doing bigger things. His story is bigger than just ours, that he paints on a canvas the size of the universe. It was a turning point. I, I think it saved my life because if I was left to my own devices, my own ability to figure things out, I probably would have just crawled into my bed and just hid. Initially, I went through every emotion possible. Uh, it was really hard for me to come to grasp with how this could have happened to me and why this happened to me. I was a good kid. I was raised in a Christian home and how this could happen to Eric and his family, um, him being a youth pastor and really living his life for the Lord. Uh, for the first couple weeks afterwards, um, it really broke me down to the lowest of the low. And uh, one night I just, I threw my hands up in the air and I just gave up and I said, God, I need your help. And, and I'm really trusting you and putting all my faith in you that you had a reason for this and that you do have a plan. And it was that, that moment when it was like he placed his hand on my shoulder wrap me in a blanket of comfort. Initially it was tough not being able to talk to Eric because of legal issues. All I wanted to do was to make sure that he was okay and express my emotion and sorrow to him and I couldn't. Uh, all everybody could tell me is that, that Eric was praying for me and wishing comfort upon me and I really couldn't understand that but I knew that that was God working through him. So I got a call from the Solicitor General, and uh, she was wanting to know how I wanted to pursue the case against Matthew. I could push for the maximum penalty, which possibly would have meant jail time, but would have definitely eliminated um, any hope of him being a firefighter in the future, or I could opt for a lesser charge. And I remember thinking that this, this would be a wonderful opportunity um, for God to get glory and for Christ to be um, lifted up. Uh, it's not gonna bring June back. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm certain he struggles every day, you know, just having to think through what happened. So 
I just decided to opt for the lesser charge uh, as an opportunity, again, to, to demonstrate God's forgiveness and God's love. The day before the two-year anniversary of the accident, I still had not spoken to Eric. I stopped at Poe's to get him a card, just let him know that I was thinking about him and praying for him and his family. As I got out of my truck to walk into the store, I saw Eric walking towards me. There were just tears uh, streaming down his face. I, I, just, I just walked up to him and I gave him a hug and um, we embraced for a short time. And then I began to share with him kind of what God had taught me uh, these past two years and, and about the big perspective that, you know, that God had given me. Um, he began to share what was on his heart and it was just, there was a connection. Um, there, there was a bond that was immediately developed. Um, and we talked for an hour and a half to two hours and it was just a, it was a beautiful time where we shared um, just experiencing God's grace, God's healing, the power of forgiveness, the restoration. Um, I communicated to him a desire that I had to, to stay involved in his life, to, to invest in a relationship with him from this point forward and he immediately um, echoed the same sentiment to me that that was something that he had desired as well and we wanted to just stay in touch and continue to grow in, in our relationship with each other as we continue to grow with, with God. And it was just to me amazing how God orchestrated all of this uh, together. I mean we happened to be at the same place on the same day to talk for the first time and I remember thinking had we not met uh, and had this conversation, we wouldn't be where we are today. In fact, it was an opportunity that God used to not only heal and bless us, but we feel like it's going to be one that He uses to heal and bless others as well. All I remember is Eric telling me that he wasn't mad at me and that he didn't blame me. And all I can tell him, could tell him is how sorry I was. God has taught me through Eric the power of forgiveness, healing through forgiveness and his faithfulness. Me and Eric now share a bond that is unbreakable. And through Eric's friendship, my life has forever changed. Now don't think this is a rainbows and butterflies kind of story. Um, it's, been a, it's been a rough road. It's been a lot of lonely nights, um, tremendous pain, um, thoughts of uncertainty and, and frustration. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish June was still here. But through it all, God has been with me. You know, I never would have wanted to endure what I went through, and I never would want to feel that way again. But I am who I am today because of what God has done in me through these circumstances. And for that, I'm thankful. You know, one thing I've learned from this whole experience is this, is that God is faithful. And that when our little bit of faith would intersect with His faithfulness, God shows up big and does some amazing things in us and through us. We are all echoes. By our actions, we either echo back to God that we are a merciful people because God has shown his mercy to us. Or we echo an unforgiving heart that will not forgive another person. What will you echo? We're going to have some of our prayer team here in the front. We invite you, if you 
have been moved in such a way that there's someone you want to ask forgiveness for and you want somebody just to pray for you or maybe you're going to ask them to forgive you. We want to invite you to come forward with our prayer team and pray. I'll be down here and we'd love to talk with you. We're going to sing a final song and then we're going to be done for this day. Before we do so, let's pray. Father, thank you that you love and care for us. Thank you that we are recipients of your mercy. May we be merciful people because you, your mercy rests upon us. And thank you that you love and care for us. And we commit ourselves into your hands. In Christ's name, please rise with us as we sing. <laughs>